The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Help! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 335 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is a lawyer describes his mistakes with his fetal alcohol spectrum disorder clients. Now, the World Health Organization in its 2014 publication, which was called Guidelines for the Identification and Management of Substance Use and Substance Use Disorders in Pregnancy, recognized fetal alcohol spectrum disorders as a range of physical and brain-related development developmental abnormalities attributed to the effects of alcohol on the unborn child. Uh, That's the fetus. Fetal alcohol spectrum disorders last a lifetime. They have no cure, although some medications and behavior therapy may help, but no one treatment is right for every child. The most serious of the fetal alcohol spectrum disorders is fetal alcohol syndrome, which we abbreviate to FAS, which is something we're going to be talking about, which may variously result in death of the unborn child, growth defects of brain, bones, face, and some organs, challenges for learning and remembering, understanding and following directions, controlling emotions, communicating and socializing, feeding and bathing, and other skills of daily life, and challenges in coordinating action, which is why our topic, a lawyer describes his mistakes with his fetal alcohol spectrum disorder clients, is so important. The lawyer is David Balding. David is a 62-year-old lawyer practicing criminal and family law from Vancouver, Canada. In the year 2000, he wrote a paper, an article, Mistakes I Made with FAS Clients, which was a popular introduction to fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And as I said before, FAS is the abbreviation for fetal alcohol syndrome. Since 2001, David's concentrated on speaking to judges, police, lawyers, probation and prison people, teachers, social workers, nurses, doctors, and parents about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders and the law. He's spoken in Alaska, Tasmania, Queensland, Texas, California, Iowa, Manila, Toronto, and elsewhere. He's made available for free several video clips of lectures on YouTube. 
In 2014, he and a colleague, Dan Gunn, made two fine animated short instructional films on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. All these materials are available on his website. He explains that his motivations are genetic because his grandmother was a public health nurse and the leader of the local social democratic party in the Okanagan Valley in British Columbia. He was educated at Trent University and in English and Native Studies and the University of British Columbia, where he earned his master's in poetry and law. So welcome to the show, David. Hello, Gordon. Hi. Now, David, please tell us more about your work as a lawyer and any experience you personally have with family caregiving. David? Well, I guess we should kind of start with some like some family background. When I was uh, out of high school, my grandmother got very suddenly ill, and my father and my uncles had decided that they were not going to put grandmother in a home. There were 35 grandchildren, and that we would take turns staying with grandmother and grandfather to help them, and I was first. My grandmother uh, was a very powerful woman and many other things, public health nurse, but she had what is called, when she turned about 68, 69 years old, she got something which then was called sudden adult dementia. So I was right out of high school and, you know, full of all the arrogance of young men have, dealing with a grandmother who would forget things, who would say crazy things, who would do crazy things, and who was a problem to manage. And it was uh, only a couple of months, I did six months, only a couple of months into my sister, who was the next grandchild to take care of the parents, where, where she was institutionalized. And it's hard to imagine at that young age the effect that that had on me. Because she was moved 300 miles away to a large institution, and we never saw her again. So when I became a lawyer 20 years later, I was kind of haunted by that. And I saw a lot of people who had brain problems, and I didn't know what they were. But I would see things that would absolutely just baffle me, and I would behave like an ordinary lawyer, like, you've got this criminal charge, you know, what happened? And they would be unable to tell me what happened. And that it was just like one incomprehensible moment after another. They would forget things. They would say things that didn't make any sense. They couldn't pay attention. They would argue with the judge, or they would interrupt the prosecutor. And it was—it took me a number of years to understand, and even then it was just a glimmer of understanding, that it wasn't the person. My grandmother was still my grandmother. Right. But these clients were also people, and they had a problem with the brain. It wasn't that they were evil or bad. They had a brain disability. Just like right. Now, now I'm going to just interrupt you there, David, because time presses, and I want you to tell us why you wrote Mistakes I Have Made, and particularly with the emphasis on mistakes I have made with FAS clients. Well, David? it comes back to, I wrote the article for a very simple reason. A judge asked me to. 
we had a conference in Vancouver, and there was a conference call between a judge, a Supreme Court judge, a provincial court judge, a probation officer, and a federal parole officer. And they were talking about fetal alcohol with, with a high degree of competence, and I had no idea what they were talking about. And all I said was, I don't know what you're talking about. All I seem to do is make mistakes. And in that special voice that adults use for brain-damaged children, you know, when they speak slowly and loudly, the judge said to me, it's okay, David, you just write about your mistakes. And so I wrote that paper, Gordon, in 20 minutes. And it just was a catalog. Well, I've done this wrong, and I've done this wrong. And it, it was a, a, a bit of a learning experience to me because what happened was it tended to be quite universal. Mistakes I made, everybody else was making the same mistakes, and we missed the person. The young person in front of the judge was held to standards they could never meet because their brain was missing parts. It's frustrating. Yeah. Now, please summarize for us what you learned about fetal alcohol um, syndrome from your mistakes. What you learned about FAS from your mistakes. I, David? I think the, the, there are two types of learning, and and they're equal, and you can't say that one is more important than the other. On one hand, let's just choose the right hand. On the right hand, I learned that it's permanent brain damage. I learned that it's a multi-sector problem. Everybody, school, police, lawyers, everybody's got to be involved. I learned that there, were, there was all kinds of problems with we're being judgmental. and Why do pregnant women drink? And I learned that there, there is there are some things we can do. Dr. Claren talks about the, the, the external brain. On the other hand, the single most important lesson I have learned is about political consciousness. I did not get that my government was criminalizing the mentally ill. I did not get that the system was not interested in these people. I did not understand that they're willing to put these people in jail rather than deal with the very difficult issues. And that's hard for people to get because, yes, we know about the brain research. Yes, we know about this. But the real issue is, now what? How can we help? And unless we understand both these things, the political consciousness and the brain science, we're going nowhere. Just tell me a little bit more about what you learned about the way in which I'm talking about young people probably now get involved with the criminal justice system because of FAS. David? Well, the, the best way I explain this is I get people to put their hands in front of them as if they're flat. And I point to the hand, you take your two hands, make it flat, and then you bring it into a fist, and you've got a brain, a model of a brain. That's brain development. But I point out that fetal alcohol is an alcohol, and it takes away brain cells in the early developmental stages. They're missing. They're not coming back. So later brain development, you have a brain of a teenager, and he's missing parts. He has lower cognitive abilities. All the drugs, all the therapy are not going to bring back those missing brain cells. And I learned that it was really hard because we all have expectations. I would tell a client who'd been arrested for the fourth or fifth time, next time wear gloves. And they'd look at me, and I remember him telling me, why would I wear gloves? It's summertime. He didn't understand. He just had a two-hour trial. It was all about fingerprint evidence. He didn't make the connection between if he'd worn gloves, he wouldn't have been arrested. 
And, and at some point, it's really hard because you have to ask one simple question. This is the thing I learned. I learned that I have to get out of my head, my white, well-educated lawyer's head, and say, what's going on in that brain? Because I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't do that. So what is going on differently? And when, once you get out of your brain, the lawyer brain, and get into the client brain, who's got a brain who's missing pieces, then it becomes a little bit easier to understand because we have such high expectations. And it's hard because everybody, Gordon, we all have this little voice that says, you shouldn't get away with this, that you should be punished. And it's, it's not about punishment. It's about how do we get people to stop committing crimes and start paying taxes. And it's possible, but it takes some effort on our part, not the person with FAS part, on our part, because their brain is not going to change. We have to make right. the changes. Does that, does that help you at all? Yes, absolutely. Um, now, we're going to take the break now, because that's when, as I like to say, we pay the rent, but we're coming back to these issues, because the points you've made are profound, they are clear, and they raise various questions which we're going to be talking about in the, uh, the next segment. So, we'll take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Asley, and my guest is David Balding. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and SharingTheBurden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you ever noticed that sometimes life just feels easier, especially when judgment of you or anyone else ceases to exist? What if you could function from that space all the time? What if gratitude is the key? Every time you are grateful for someone or something, a new universe opens up. What difference can you create in your life and the world from the energy, space, and consciousness of gratitude? Join us on Access Consciousness Presents Beyond Saying Thank You every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to doc. G at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. 
Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and David Boulding. Our topic is a lawyer describes his mistakes with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder clients. Now, let's talk, David, please, more about what you learn from what you call the mistakes you made with FAS clients. Um, now, tell us more about what you learned about your clients. You've already said quite a lot, but I want to expand on what you learned about your clients. David? Well, we use a mnemonic called ALARM, A-L-A-R-M. <laughs> we help to, we, this is what we teach the police. And so we teach people to ask questions in each one of those categories. And the first one is adaptive behaviors. The second one is language and learning. The third one is attention. And the fourth one is reasoning. And the last one is memory. Adaptive behaviors are all the secret rules of life that aren't written down. You know, like if your client is wearing a T-shirt, it's 40 below outside and he's hitchhiking on the highway, there's a problem. If someone shows up at a funeral and wants to talk about the hockey game, there's a problem. Learning in language is often we find young people in court talking above their learning because they've heard the words so much. They're absolute geniuses at masquerading but don't understand content. A stands for attention. I call this the, oh, there's a shiny penny. You can be talking about A, and all of a sudden, bang, someone walks by the room, and they're gone. They're just not paying attention. R is reasoning. The best way I can explain reasoning is, Gordon, I was to tell you, don't fight in school. Don't fight in school. Gordon, I said not to fight in school. And you might reply, I wasn't. It was on the way home. And so reasoning is that ability to abstract, to predict, to generalize. The most important mental function that my clients lack is memory, both short-term and long-term. If you can't remember something from Monday and use it in a different context on Thursday, you're going to make the same mistakes. And I think underlying all of that are two very profound and painful problems. They're called shame and frustration. If your life is full of mistakes, if your life is full of errors and frustration, and you have the shame of being excluded, the shame of not getting it right, the shame of always being caught, the shame of not being picked on the team, whatever, the frustration and shame is like a black cloud that follows you around, and it infects every decision you make. Take a look at your own life. When you're frustrated, you make mistakes. You say things you shouldn't. When your life is overwhelmed with shame, you shrink back from life and you have all those mental illnesses that come from that. And when, we're, when I learn to deal with these clients, often I have to learn that this conversation is two minutes long. Often I would have to learn to just say, today's not the day, is it? And sometimes I would have to use diagrams. Sometimes it would be very difficult. And it is about accommodating. And we use the ALRM uh, mnemonic to develop ways to accommodate people because their brains are missing pieces. You and I can carry on a conversation like this, Gordon, at quite a rapid pace. You and I can remember the overarching context of this conversation. We can understand the we can predict the uses for this conversation. Those are sophisticated cognitive processes. 
often my clients wouldn't understand. I would have a client who'd been told, the judge would go through the reasons and say, the Crown has failed to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt, and count to three, and my client would say to me, when do I go to jail? He yeah. didn't understand that his judge had just said, you're not guilty. Not guilty means you can go home now. Right. If you think about that, it's really hard. Now, I, that leads me straight into the next question I want to ask you, which is what you, what you learn from these things you call your mistakes about the ways in which the criminal justice system is or was dealing with your FAS clients, the kind of people who have the problems you've just been describing. David? Well, the, the criminal justice system, there's two really two different systems. One is for people like you and I, because we get our mistakes pretty quickly, you know, maybe with the exception of drunk driving. Very few of us listening to this radio show will be arrested for two reasons. The first reason is we have friends. Gordon, get back in the truck. You're, you're not being helpful, Gordon. Get back in the truck. Gordon listens to his friends, gets back in the truck. The second reason is you and I, Gordon, have a little voice. And my little voice is like this. David, if the law society finds out about this, you're going to be disbarred. You're being ridiculous, David. Get back in the truck. We have friends, Gordon, and we have this cognitive voice. My clients, most of them, don't have friends because they have all kinds of bad behaviors. But more importantly, they lack this cognitive braking system, this cognitive gear shift that allows them, whoops, we're in dangerous waters now. And because they have a brain that's missing pieces, the justice system assumes you're just like Dr. Gordon Atherley. You understand the rule of law. Here's the penalty. Here's the boom. And because we fail to see the individual, and that's the lesson I learned from my grandmother, because she used to take young offenders home rather than they would spend time in jail before their trial. And I learned that you know each person matters, and we're putting these people in jail. They are most of the jail population. And most of them are no danger to society, but they're in there because they do not know how to play the game. Let me just ask you a supplementary question to that. In their appearance, that is, they're in court in the front of the judge. Is there anything about their appearance or their face or anything else that would convey a warning about the kind of things that you're talking about? David? This is an excellent question, Gordon. Excellent question. Everybody that's listening knows what a Down syndrome child looks like. And because we know that, we make accommodations. The face of fetal alcohol is a very small percentage. The face in the human body is created in a 20 or 30 hour window around day 20. If mom stops drinking on day 18 and starts drinking on day 22, there's no facial damage. Most people with fetal alcohol, Gordon, look like you and I. The face is like 1% to 3% of the entire population. No, because they look the same, the judge looks down and says, you're just like my son. He gets it. Boom, 60 days in jail. And so we have this problem. It's not the face. It's the brain. What is going on? And this is why we have now this idea that what the judge needs to know is he needs to know specific information about the diagnosis of fetal alcohol. 
Now, that's a very strong point, and we're going to come back on that. But now I want to ask you, David, please, again, what you learn from your mistakes, as you call them, about the families and family caregivers of your FAS clients. What did you learn about them? David? I learned two very important things. The first mistake I made is, is I didn't draw a family tree. I didn't get all of the uncles and aunts and grandmothers and cousins. I didn't draw a family tree and sort of flesh out the whole context of the person. What I learned, though, is usually in every family in my part of the world, it's almost always a grandmother who is the rock, who is the pillar. And I took me a while to learn that as long as grandmother was involved in supervision, my client would not be arrested. But if grandmother went to deal with another child, it was a day or two or three, and my client would be arrested. I learned that almost intuitively, these older women knew there was something different about this child, and they would supervise. I learned that if I could have a supervisor, and the supervisor is kind of a coded world, and Dr. Claren calls it the external brain. It's a, it's a good-hearted person that knows that there are some specific brain problems. A good-hearted person would look out and would say, don't go there. Come with me. Let's do this as opposed to that. And often, if I could get the grandmother connected to probation and get the grandmother to come to court, things would turn out. But often... I didn't know, because I didn't have this family tree, I didn't know who the supervisor in the family was, because the problem could be multi-generational. And we could have, they could have, people have their own problems. I've had clients whose parents are on another continent, and they have paid people to take care of them. Well, they don't care. Essentially, what I learned is, is that at the end of the day, supervision with loving attention is what works. And it's going to sound crazy, and let's spread the tofu and howl at the moon, but the science says it works. Every probation officer I've ever met has said the same thing. You give me five or ten clients, they will never reoffend. But they have 80 to 120 on their list. No grandmother can supervise 120 people. And the families are an absolutely essential ingredient because the families have a language. And you want to make sure that the probation orders are written in language that the family uses. That way it makes sense. Otherwise, it's just this mumble-jumble order, and it doesn't make sense at all. Without the families, nothing happens. Does that make sense to you, Gordon? Absolutely. Because it, what I'm going to deduce from what you said is that family caregiving is caring that is essential because it makes a difference, and that not everyone in the family can do it, but there may well be people in the family who can do it. And that's the strength of family caregiving. Well, see, I, 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 I see it a bit differently. I see it as a duty in law. I okay. see that the justice system has a duty to find the appropriate person to accommodate and supervise this person. And I think that's what probation officers are supposed to do. And the job is very simple. Help this person with brain parts that aren't there stand in for those missing brain parts and make good decisions. And we know that this works. The man who started this whole idea, his name is Dr. Sterling Claren, and he calls it the external brain concept. And 
every probation officer may call it something different, but they know that supervision with heart, lots of repetition, but supervision with heart stops crime. That's a superb point on which to um, go into the break for this particular segment. Supervision with heart, heart um, captures, I think, the things that uh, maybe family caregivers also provide. Now, let's take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Lavsley, and my guest is David Balding. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We'll be back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and David Balding. Our topic is, a lawyer describes his mistakes with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder clients. David, you wrote Mistakes I Have Made with FAS Clients in 2000, the year 2000. Let's talk about the situation as you see it in 2014. So first question then is, how much improvement do you see over that period of time in the understanding of FAS, fetal alcohol syndrome, and the support it receives in the social and healthcare systems? I'm not as optimistic as some people. There has been some positive changes, but there have been no essential changes. We are uh, essentially uh, putting lipstick on a pig. We haven't really grappled with the very difficult issues that fetal alcohol raises. 
there are a couple of barriers. One is alcohol is a legal product. The second problem is we have all these other boogeymen that we like to be scared of, whether they're drugs or whatever. But alcohol is the problem. And when you talk about that in such a way, all kinds of people get very angry. And people with money, when you get angry with people with money, you generally lose. The major problem, though, is in law, we have to ask two questions. It's called the guilty body, guilty mind thing. Did your hand pull the trigger, and did your mind intend the consequences of your actions? So each, each legal problem has a mental element, and we're really reluctant to deal with the mental element because we worry that too many people are going to go free and be unpunished. And we need to distinguish between noncompliance and noncompetence. There is a difference, and it's brain-based. Our legal principles were established in 1854, 12 years before Sigmund Freud was born, much before there were x-rays, CAT scans, and MRIs. So our neurological knowledge has increased. Our legal principles are very much 1850. The legal system needs to develop some more sophisticated ways of dealing with these problems. The legal system needs to have a lesson in modern science. And it's difficult to do because there are so many barriers in the way. But now with the cost of prisons becoming a real issue, I think people will have to start listening because most of the people with fetal alcohol are not a danger to the community and there is no profit, no change in putting them in jail. So I think maybe we're ready for some changes because the bottom line is these people with fetal alcohol, they're not going to change. We have to change how we are with them. Right. Now, just to go back very briefly to the social and healthcare systems, um, I got from you that there have been some improvements of what I'll call a technical kind in the way that the healthcare system um, provides tests and the rest of it. But what I'm hearing from you is that there haven't been the advances that you were looking for in the way in which the criminal justice system understands affairs. The doctors... There's tremendous research. The research is, is, is overwhelming. There's lots of stuff that can happen. There's lots of good things. There's lots of good news on the social, educational, medical uh, frontiers. But the legal problem is stuck, and it's stuck for good reasons inside the system. The system is very hard to change. But I think now that the system is going to be learning because the brain science is so overwhelmingly helpful. And as judges now, if you have a car accident, you may have a brain expert. And the brain expert can explain why this person should have this amount of money. That kind of information needs to seep into, leak into the criminal justice system. And it is eventually, but there are some barriers. Who's going to pay for the doctor? Who's going to pay for the assessment? And these are complicated questions. Yep. Now, I'm going to ask you straight off, how much improvement do you actually see in understanding of FAS among the police and in the criminal justice system at the level at which young people, young adults with FAS are dealt with? David? You may think this is curious. The police are miles ahead of the judges and lawyers because police are on the sharp end of the stick. As a matter of Tasmania, Alaska, Toronto, every time I talk to police officers, they get it in about 15 minutes because they see it every day. And so when we talk to police, they have a way of understanding what really needs to be do- done here. The 
problem is, it's not the police. I find the police very helpful. You can explain stuff to them, and they get it right away. And they can develop some strategies. They have all kinds of things they can do. Because the police tend to work very well with social service agencies. The problem is, once it goes to a prosecutor, they get into the iron-bound system of law, and a prosecutor has nowhere to move. Essentially, a judge has one decision to make, Gordon. Jail or no jail. If it's no jail, is it a fine? Is it some other thing? And so we haven't developed as a legal concept a way to have education, supervision, and community development as part of a legal solution. Because the judge is essentially is straitjacked by the law, all these laws. His decision is, are you going to go to jail or are you not going to go to jail? And so we have to widen that range of options. And it is. There are some judges. Uh, Michael Barrow has just retired. Uh, Michael Jeffries, rather, in Barrow, Alaska, has just retired. And there are several judges who do get it, who do, do develop uh, good positive solutions, but they're in a minority because essentially what happens is, is some prosecutor appeals the decision and it goes to the court of appeal, and the court of appeal says, well, that's not what the law is. You just can't be doing that sort of stuff. He has to go to jail. And that's because the court of appeal has not been educated about the brain science. Right. Now, I want to ask you what further improvements you think are necessary in all of this, that is um, FAS, social and healthcare systems, FAS, police, FAS, criminal justice systems. What it's, further improvements it's, 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 are you talking about? It's very simple. Gordon, you fall down, break your leg. They take you to the hospital. Somebody looks at your leg and says, broken leg. He writes it on a piece of paper. That piece of paper follows you through the system until someone puts a cask on that leg. That's the diagnosis system. What we need in fetal alcohol is equally simple. There are two things we need. The first thing we need is a report to the judge, and the report is by a multidisciplinary team of neurologists, pediatricians, psychologists, speech and language pathologists, psychiatric social worker, social worker, and report and says, here's the whole picture of this person. Here's the brain functions. Here's what's missing. Here's, here's where we need to do work. So we need to, de- we need to have this multidisciplinary report. And the next thing we need to have is these reports have to be required by law. For example, in Canada, we have something called the Gladue Report. We put too many Aboriginal people in jail, so Parliament passed a law that says when a young Aboriginal person goes to jail, goes to before the court, there will be a report on him showing the court his, higher, his entire context, who he is, who his parents are, what his social abilities are, his academic abilities. Let's take a look at the whole person. For people with fetal alcohol, we need a similar legally required report that says, here's the brain functions that are strong, here's the brain functions that are weak, here's the areas of problems, and here are the suggested solutions. And by the way, the suggested solution is always the same. It's called external brain, supervision with heart. But we need to find ways... Every judge would like to do something. They need something to hang their hat on. And you need two things. You need a multidisciplinary diagnosis that can follow the person through his lifetime in the system because they are going to be lifers. And you need a way that the law requires the judge to have this report so he can make good decisions. David, there's something in healthcare that I'm sure you've heard many times called a circle of care, meaning 
that group of people of all kinds of disciplines who are caring for a patient or an individual. Now, there's a question that goes on that I'm going to ask you now. Does the family caregiver or the grandmother, as you've mentioned, the one who perhaps is best placed for this, do those sorts of people also have a place in the circle of care? And if so, would they ever be helpful to a court? David? They would, they would be most helpful to the court, and I learned very, very quickly as a young lawyer. If I wanted to do right by my client, put the grandmother on the stand. Put the, let the grandmother talk to the judge, because she was going to be the way. The problem is the system, we're talking two very different systems. The medical system has a circle of care. There's no such circle in the legal system. And we need to develop that. And it's really going to be a problem because we like to build lots of prisons. We don't want to hire more probation officers. We need to hire more probation officers and build fewer prisons because the probation officer is not going to bring back those missing brain cells, but he's going to supply the appropriate supervision. He's going to make sure he gets a job. He's going to talk to the employer. He's going to make sure that the curfew is followed. He's going to make sure that this happens. He's going to make sure that, you know, if there's medications, that the medications are taken. Because this particular person with the brain-based birth defect is in such an odd little box legally, they're excluded from many of the programs because they don't show up. They don't understand the game. They don't know what to do. They make mistakes. A, a, a very famous problem I had was painfully funny. There's a courthouse in British Columbia that's on a hill. So the front door is different from the back door. If you go in the courthouse from the back door, the first floor is actually the basement. And this client was sent to probation. He went in the wrong door of the courthouse. Couldn't find the probation because he was on the first floor to him. He was on the first floor, but he came in on the uphill side. So what happens? Well, he gets arrested because he failed to show up in probation. And he says, I was there. There's no such place. Because nobody took the extra step and say, it's in the basement. And this kind of problem wouldn't help happen in the legal system because hospitals have all these arrows and lines painted on the floor because that's hospitals are good at that legal system not so good right but do you understand what i'm talking about gordon absolutely absolutely uh it's what my old scottish mother would have said what's needed is a bit of common sense but oh, please more of it <laughs> <laughs> now, it's time we take the break once more, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Etherly, and my guest is David Balding. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. Like so many others, do you put on a game face to the world? The stress of home life, work life, and personal life converge on us on practically a daily basis. Yet, so rarely do we let others see our real selves, and we carry on like we don't have a single problem. We need to connect and to find out we're not alone. Tune into Stories from the Heart of Leadership with host Shamin Sadik to find out not only what's been created, but the story behind it. Listen live every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and David Boulding. Our topic is a lawyer describes his mistakes with his fetal alcohol spectrum disorder clients. Now, David, let's talk about the things that you would like to do and see done to help improve the lives of individuals and families who are living with FAS, fetal alcohol syndrome. David, what more? would you like to do to provide more help to FAS clients who become involved with the police and criminal justice systems? Uh, there, are, there are lessons to be learned that are difficult. In Canada, especially in British Columbia, we had a group of parents who had autistic children. They got together. They sued the provincial government in Supreme Court, and they lost. After they lost, the government gave them a whole bunch of money. They sued the province of British Columbia in the Court of Appeal. They lost again. The government threw more money at them. Then they sued the government again, this time in the Supreme Court of Canada, where they lost again. Now, you'd think after three losses that they would be devastated. No, the parents of these autistic children now have a huge amount of money from the government because they got organized. They got together, and they said, we need a lawyer. We're going to sue because this is not right. Our children are not being treated fairly. The single biggest thing that needs to happen is the parents of these children need to get together, hire a lawyer, and sue the government. Because if you had a broken leg, Gordon, you're going to get treatment. Now, in Canada, everybody has medical insurance. It's not like the United States with all the problems you guys got down there. But in Canada, everybody has medical insurance. But if you show up at a hospital and say, I have fetal alcohol, the door slams shut. And we need to fix that. And there's only one way to fix that, is you take a lesson from people who were successful. It's very clearly a breach of constitutional law. We have a new constitution in Canada in 1982, and
and it's an accommodating document. It's for everybody. It's a balancing document. And very clearly, if you sued the government, you would win. But the question is, how do you get parents who are frustrated, overworked, poor, overloaded, how do you get them all together, 10 or 20 of them, find enough money to hire a lawyer? Because at the end of the day, the legal rights you have, you must take. No one's going to give them to you. You have to take them. You have to follow the lessons of people who are successful. And organizing people into political consciousness is the first step. Because the science is already there. We don't need to do any more research. The science is overwhelming. We need to get the parents together because although they have many problems, after a while you realize they're all the same problem. They all want the same thing. Let's go get it. David, I'm going to move you to your, the next question because it flows from what you've just been saying. What more would you like to see done and who, in your view, should do it to provide m- m- more help to what I'm going to call the FAS families to get themselves organized, dare I say politically organized, in such a way that they can pay for a lawyer who's going to take them through the system and get them the kind of services and and, and activities and support and things like that that they need. David? I, I think this is a social question because there is a lot. The word fetal alcohol was chosen mindfully. Mother was drinking while pregnant. And now we attach all kinds of negatives and shame to that. We need to understand what are the reasons that pregnant women drink. And that's difficult. It's about poverty. It's about lack of education. It's about daily difficulties. We need to spend some money into social services to understand that alcohol is the drug of our civilization. And it's a problem when you take alcohol and you're pregnant. And it's not just about poor people. But we have to deal with the shame. We have to say, yes, that was a bad decision. And now let's start working towards a solution. And so shame is the first thing we need to do. We need to do some more education, and we need to specifically educate policy people. Because everybody will tell you, you're spending too much money in your health services, your education, your legal, your municipal services on these people. And there's lots of good uh, good models. Seattle has the PCAP program. There's lots of places that have models because at the end of the day, you want to get someone's attention, tell them, I can save you money. And so we need to talk to the policy people. If you do this, it will save you millions of dollars. And we need to be able to talk to children. Gordon, I've got a paper up on my website called The Rules of Sex. The main problem is we need to talk to people about sex. Because if you're going to have sex, be aware that if you're drinking and having sex, it's a losing game. We need to talk to children about sex the same way we talk about traffic rules. But because there's all this taboo about talking about sex, all these young people and not so young people are drinking and having sex and not thinking about the consequences because there's not this active conversation about what I call the rules of sex. And I would invite people to go to the website, read the paper, because it's the single biggest problem we have. We have all these people drinking and having sex. I have nothing against drinking, and I got nothing against people having sex. It's the combination that causes the problem, but we don't let people talk about sex. It should be started at the high school. Now, where have you heard this? This is not new information, Gordon. 
Right. Now, that's an educational challenge. And I, at a later date, might very well come back to you to do an episode on how we do that um, in schools and the rest of it. And there may be an opportunity, and I'm just making one quick editorial comment, in that there's a reality, a realization anyway, more and more, that teenagers in school are very vulnerable to all kinds of problems relating to addiction, to medications, and there's an effort being made to reach them. And it seems to me that what you've just said about the sex education might fit into that. But let me move on to my very final question to you. David, what is your message for families, family caregivers, with family members living with FAS? David, what's your message for them? Well, I, I come back to it, Gordon. Listen to your grandmother. Yes. Women that have a history of caring for children have a large body of knowledge. We need to listen to these women who are in their 60s and 70s because they know stuff. They may have made mistakes, but grandmothers are a powerful resource, and we need to find ways. When I was in Australia running these classes for the judges down there, they have some courts where a grandmother sits on the bench with the judge, and she has an input. And I think that that's a pretty good idea, because at the end of the day, it's the caregiver with the daily experience with that particular individual can assist the judge. We have to find ways to make what happens in the family known to the judge, so we can say, okay, this is what i got to work with. This, that's not going to work. This is going to work. And the only way we do that is find a way to honor grandmothers. Right. And just this is my political point back to you. Um, grandmothers are family caregivers, and your message is that they are crucial. They're important. They're vital in the care, the understanding and in the way others need to understand um, young people who are living with FAS and therefore family becomes important. It's not the sole solution to every problem, but you've made a very powerful argument for grandmothers. And one of these days, I'd like to follow follow you up. On I agree with everything you just said. Absolutely. Terrific. Okay, great. Now, David, We've come to the end of this powerful episode, because it is, and first of all, thank you for being so firm, so forthright, and so clear in the way in which, first of all, you've got us to understand the core or the cause of the problems, and the way in which you've given advice. And so, for the sake of us all in society, I can only say to you, please keep up your work, because it's vital. And it's vital for everyone because of the stress, the strain, the burden that this FAS, FASD um, conditions impose on families, on society, and on the systems of society. Anything so, I have I'm to going say, Gordon, it's on my website, davidbolding.com. It's free. There's lots of stuff there. And right. at the end of the day, you know, Gordon, we've got to help each other. Yeah, what we're absolutely. doing is not working. 
Right, absolutely right. Now, I want to just say I disagree with your word mistake. I think you learned, you learned and you shared your learning. And I think you're an observer. And in the technical terms, you're a qualitative researcher. And I applaud you. Now, on that point, I'm going to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be Choosing Cancer Treatments. Please join us. Same time, same spot. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful.